The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, to The Springs family and to all you who are visiting today, I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus. It's the name that draws us together. And I also want to reiterate a few things that uh, were said earlier today. 80,000 plus for Mission Sunday. I think that is an incredible gift, incredible generosity. And it confirms to me, it wasn't a test, but it does confirm to me that at the core, at the DNA of this church is God's mission. Where you put your treasure, that's where your heart is. And I also want to say this, that it is a... Scripture says it's a blessing to give. And in some ways, it's a joy to give. But if we're really honest, giving is hard work. You guys have done hard work. And what I want to say is, it's a challenge to give at times. It is hard work. But I ask that this church continues to do the hard work of giving. That they may know the blessing of God. And the joy of God. Because God is a giver. It's who He is. And this is the Sunday which marks our move. In fact, a year ago today on March 5th, we were over at the old building and we were doing our celebration that evening. The next day, March 6th, is when we moved here. And there have been challenges along the way, there's no doubt. But I have seen God at work in this congregation, in this church. I've seen him uh, just at work in our meetings here on Sunday morning. The kind of fellowship that takes place. I've seen him work in your faithfulness that through challenges that we have had in the move and transitions, that you have been faithful, accepted those challenges, and you've been faithful to it. And for sure... Our journey in this transition is not finished, and there will be challenges ahead. But here's my prayer for all of this, the Mission Sunday offering, and for the challenges and the blessings that lie ahead for us in this journey. Here's my prayer this morning. Now to him who is able to do, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in, at work within you, within us. To him be glory. And through the church and through Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations, now and forever, and the church said, Amen. Thank you. We've been looking at the book of the letter to the Ephesians. At the very beginning, what I said about the book of Ephesians is the, the book of Ephesians is a 35,000 mile view. It's a very big view. In fact, one of the things that we talked about is that in London you have the eye. I always thought this odd, uh, this odd fixture on the landscape of London. The eye is this enormous Ferris wheel. I remember going there for the first time and thinking, there's all, this, there's all this rich old tradition, the London Bridge, 
right? I know it's probably been remodeled and it's probably not as old as I think it is. But you have Buckingham Palace and all of these things. And then you have this huge eye. I thought, what is that there for? And in fact, it's there because if you take the eye, it takes you some 400, 500 feet up in the air and you can see all of London. And you get the big picture. It's a gorgeous picture. I'm not sure how you are when you take a, a flight. But when I book a flight and when I get to choose what seat I have, I'm the guy that wants to have the window seat. Now, some of you feel too trapped. You don't want the window seat. I also, especially for long flights, want the bulkhead because I'm so tall and my knees hit the, so I want to be able to stretch out, but that's a different story. But I love getting a window seat. And most of the time, if it's an overnight flight overseas, and John and I just did this flight, I, I came back from Germany about two weeks ago, and I... I chose the window seat and it was cloudy in Germany so it didn't last for very long but it was just that moment where you take off and you can overlook Frankfurt and you could see the big picture to see all that I was involved in in traveling around in Frankfurt I could see it all and then as I'm on my way, we're getting into the, over the continental United States and I open up my window after about two movies, right? And you look out and it's, oh, it's so bright outside. And I'm sure my neighbor next to me was thinking, what is this idiot doing? Close your window. It is way too bright. You know that feeling when you open it up, it's just way too bright. And I'm looking out to see what I can see. And I'm, I'm seeing this off in the distance. I'm seeing... Uh, this kind of almost like peninsula has all these weird structures. I think, what are those trees? But they're way too tall and all this. And I realize as we get closer, we are flying right over Manhattan on our way to D.C. And I look and I say, oh, my goodness. I could see New York City. I got so excited. I could see New York City. I've been there several times. But I could see from the air. And we weren't that low, but we had this. 30,000 foot view of Manhattan and I could see I could see Central Park and I go oh look there there's there's the Empire State Building and then the Brooklyn Bridge and there's a Statue of Liberty a little speck I could see it and it was amazing to see because I could step back and and while I'm walking through right and taking the train or the subway you kind of get lost if you're not familiar and you're just in this big maze. But when you kind of get up above it, you go, ah, oh, that's what's going on. And as I flew into Oklahoma City, I don't know if you do this. Whenever I fly into Oklahoma City, I start looking for landmarks. Try to figure out where stuff is. And for me, it's just this way of looking at the world that when I get stuck in traffic, and I'm complaining about traffic because it's traffic in Edmond, Right? Which is getting quite bad. Amen? Shouldn't complain that much. When I'm stuck in traffic, but I can get above it all, and the traffic doesn't seem that bad up there. It seems different. I can see the big picture. Ephesians is that view. It's giving us the window seat. 
It's looking out and seeing God's view of things. It's this cosmic view. And in this cosmic view in chapter 1, what we notice immediately is that it's God who is the primary actor. Even though this sermon series is the mystery of us, God is the primary actor. And so in Ephesians 1, you could start going through, we'll read it, but you can read parts of it that stand out. All the verbs, all the verbs aren't done by you, they're not done by uh, me, that God is the subject of all the verbs. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He predestined us for adoption. And he's given us his grace, which he's freely given us. In him we have redemption. He forgives our sins. And he's lavished on us his grace. And he has made known to us his will, which he purposed in Jesus Christ. I mean, he just goes on and on and on about the things that God has done. And he's saying all of these verbs, all of these things that God has done in order to say this. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here's his purpose. To bring unity to all things in heaven and earth. In Jesus Christ. To gather up, to sum up. This is the language it used. To gather up, to sum up all things. And it's not just things in heaven, it's things in earth. It's this cosmic view. He intends to deal with it all. And through Jesus Christ, here's, what he, here's his purpose. He's going to gather it all up. He's going to bring it back together again. And the one thing that we talked about is that Jesus is the beginning of that reconciliation of all things. That in Jesus Christ, when he becomes this infant, this tiny baby, that the church says, and we confess with every part of our being, we confess as believers that he's fully God and he's fully human. And here's why that's important. It's because in Jesus Christ, heaven and earth and the incarnation are fully reconciled. When Jesus became an infant, the cosmos was reconciled. Humanity and divinity fully reconciled. He is the beginning or the first fruits of that. And that can't be undone because of the resurrection. It can't be undone. And so Paul goes on to talk about, he says, here's my prayer. My prayer is that you will be filled with wisdom and the revelation of this mystery. So that you may know the hope to which you are called and the incomparable power that we have. And as Brett told us, that power, I love the way he did this. It's the hyper-mega-dynamite power. That's the language he uses. The power that is within you and I, within us as a church, is a hyper-mega-dynamite power. In other words, it's the power of the resurrection. That's what power And so Paul then moves from this hyper-dynamite, this hyper-mega-dynamite power to say and remember. 
Even though you have this resurrection power, remember, you were dead. You're dead in your sins. When you used to walk in these ways, you were dead in your sins. But God, God has made you alive in Jesus Christ. Saved by grace. And he says, this is a gift. It's not anything you've done. You can't do this. This is a gift from God. So that none of us can boast about it. But it's a gift, not that we can boast about this gift, but it's a gift to us so that we might become his workmanship to do the good deeds that God has prepared us. That's the gift and that's the purpose of the gift. That we may do the good deeds he has purposed for us in Jesus. And he goes on to say, you are dead in your sins because for this reason. And by the way, he's talking to all of us because he's talking to Gentiles. He says, you're all dead in your sins because you were foreigners. You weren't citizens. You were, former, you were foreigners to the promises of God. You were citizens cut off from God's people. But now in Jesus Christ... He's brought you near. We have been reconciled. Therefore, Christ is our peace. And this is a powerful statement. This is the whole point of chapter 2. He says, and God has created one new humanity out of the two. And what's interesting about this text is that he doesn't say, hey, God saved you, and God saved you, and God saved you. He says, no, here's what salvation looks like. God reconciled you to each other. And he formed one new humanity. And then after forming that one new humanity, he took that one body and he reconciled it to himself. In other words, the church is not a vendor of religious goods and services offering salvation. The church is what salvation looks like. That's a difficult thing for us. What do you mean by that? In other words, here's what, we, here's what Paul is saying about this, is that you, I'm not saved without you. If this is God's work of salvation, of bringing us and reconciling us to one new humanity, then reconciling us to God... It's not that I get reconciled to God and then maybe I get around to you, John. That's not how it works. It's that he reconciles us together and then he reconciles us to God. In other words, we've been hoodwinked, I think. You like that term? Yeah. We've been hoodwinked. Let's use it again. We have. We've been hoodwinked into thinking that church is not only a vendor of religious goods and services where we come just to get something, but the church is a voluntary association of like-minded people. And so we can come and go in these relationships, however they suit us, whatever they offer us. Oh yeah, and by the way, we can also... A voluntary, uh, a voluntary association of like-minded people. The like-minded people part is that I just got to be with people that think like me all the time. Paul says, you don't understand what God's doing. You think Jews and Gentiles thought alike? 
different backgrounds, different races, different cultures, different nations, different ways of thinking. It's just a weak view of church. And here's Paul's view of church. God is reconciling all things. In heaven and earth. And he's beginning with us. The church is the people who have just begun to recognize what God is doing in the world. So we are no longer a voluntary association of like-minded people. But as Brett said, we are a faithful association of reconciled people. There's a big difference. We are a faithful association of reconciled people. And this is why, this is what Paul says God is doing with that. He says that now God's intent, in chapter 3, verse 10, it says his intent was that now through the church, this mystery of God, will be made known to the powers and the principalities in the heavenly realms. This is intent. He's beginning with you. He's beginning with us. And we are to be as witnesses that witness to the world and to the heavenly beings and all the powers that be that says, this is what God is doing. And we give testimony to that. God is unifying the cosmos and he's beginning with his people. He's beginning with the church. And we get this 35,000 foot view. And then we come to our text this morning. That Paul gets done presenting this 35,000 foot view. And by the way, the response to that, I think can only be now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Because I know some of us, including myself, are sitting here saying, I can't imagine what you're talking about, Ben. It may be because I'm, it's a bad preaching. It may be because it's what God's doing. And we go mystery been revealed but wow this is more than I can ask or imagine and he gets done giving his 35,000 foot view where he sees all the streets and the layout of everything and then he gets to this prayer our text today he says in chapter 3 verse 14 for this reason for all this I've been talking about, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. 
And he begins this prayer by saying, I kneel before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name. And what he's doing there, what doesn't show up in English, is he's doing a word play in Greek. It doesn't show up in English. But the word there is pater, or father, right? For this reason, I kneel before the pater, for whom every patria derives its name. Do you hear it? The pater is the father, and patria is the family. And he's doing a little word play there to say, I kneel before the Father. Because every human being, no matter race, no matter culture, no matter background, no matter what they've done, they all come from him. Which is why he's in the business of bringing it all back together because they all belong to him. And he says, I kneel before the Father. And this is my prayer. The Father who is the Father of all families, all nations, all tribe, all people. And this is my prayer for you. This is what I ask. That He may strengthen you with the power, this hyper-mega-dynamite power of His Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. He's praying that God will not only has already come into your life with his resurrection power, but that he'll continue to strengthen you with not just power. It's this hyper mega dynamite power. He says, I pray being rooted and established in love. That we may have the power together with all of God's people to grasp. And hear this. He prays that we have the power. And I think he knows. I hate trying to get into what Paul, I think Paul knows. But I'm reflecting on myself about what I know. And I need Paul to pray this prayer for me. I need Paul to deeply and sincerely pray this prayer for me that I might have the power, that we may have the power, together with all of God's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses all knowledge. It's funny that he prays that we have the ability to know how high and wide and deep this love is than to turn around and say which surpasses all knowledge he's dealing with the deep things of God he's dealing with the central things to who God is and he says at the heart of it all at the heart of this reconciliation at the heart of this bringing and summing up all things and bringing it together is this incredibly expansive love of God that goes wide and far and deep and high. It's like we sang in the song today. I, I noticed that his love, I don't remember the exact words, but his love even goes down to the depths of hell. That's how deep it goes. And he says, this is why he wants you to know this love. So that you may be filled to the measure 
of the fullness of God. And, the, and to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God is that in love we are reconciled. That's the full measure of God. Because God himself is reconciled. He has reconciled his son to himself through the resurrection. And brought it all back together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. And all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory through the church, through Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He does the unimaginable according to the power of His Spirit that work, is at work within us. This is what God does. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, and here's what He's doing. He's saying that He wants glory to come through to God through the church who is a witness to the powers of God's reconciling work in the world. We are a witness, we give glory to God when we are witnesses to God's reconciling work in the world. Not in the world, but in the entire universe. You're part of something so much bigger than yourself. He says that we, the church, are God's workmanship, created to do good works in Christ. And he wants to give glory to God through Christ, who accomplishes God's purposes of reconciling all things. This is central to who the church is, to who Paul says, to his gospel, to what he's doing. The reconciliation of all things. And I preach this sermon this way where we get to our text at the very end. is because this text is actually a transition text. We've come to the end of a first, the first section in this story or in this narrative that Paul, the mystery of us. He's saying, look at what God has done. And look at what God intends to do through His church. The people who have just begun to recognize what God is doing in the world. And this is outside of my text, but if you turn the page to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, therefore. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord. Therefore, because of all God has done. He says, therefore. I urge you. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He makes this grand appeal. Look what God is doing. I urge you, live into the reality that God has established. Live into it. And these are my words, not Paul. But I read this and here's what I say. I say, once you figure out what God is doing, how could you not want to get in on it? That's how I view it. And I think Paul does too. He says, I'm compelled. So much so that I'll go to prison for this. Therefore, as God's prisoner, I urge you. Live a life worthy of the calling. This is the direction we're going in this series. Say, what does it mean to live under God's reconciling purposes? 
What does it mean to live into God's purposes in Jesus Christ to bring it all back together again? The question I leave you with this. Are you living a life worthy of calling? Or as Paul would say, not just you individually, the question is for us. Are we, as God's church, living a life that lives into the reality that is a for sure thing, the reconciliation that God's bringing? Now to him who is able to do, the measure will be more than all we ask or imagine. Let's stand and sing.